Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nature's A Hoot. And as always, we are your hosts. I'm Tom. And I'm Hannah. This month, we're chatting all about rewilding. What it is, and what it means for our wildlife, and also how we might be able to do a little bit of it ourselves. Yes, we are. Now, Hannah, what have you been up to over the last few weeks? I've got a very exciting bit of news to... to uh bring to Have the you? table yeah because well, do you want to share your news first can should i go first <laughs> <laughs> i feel really rude now because i asked you but i'm going to go for it anyway um yeah over the last few weeks some some of our listeners might have seen spotted this on facebook and you might have seen it as well before we sent the video out but um many people will be aware of the fact that we get lots of wild birds of prey coming over the trust flying over very excitingly actually over uh the spring and early part of the summer we had the white-tailed sea eagle come over um, and kind of an everyday occurrence is seeing buzzards and kites. So we're not, we don't get particularly wildly excited about seeing red kites anymore because we just kind of get used to them, really. They're, they're an everyday sight. Um, this week, though, or rather this month, over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing more and more of them. And there was one particular occasion that I managed to get on film where we had at least 15 red kites flying over wow. Reggie's wildflower meadow. It's just awesome. And I know there's probably that lots of people that see many more of those in one place. But bearing in mind, um, we, we're used to seeing maybe half a dozen maximum in one go. To be able to see 15 birds all flying overhead, calling to each other, that was a real spectacle, I have to say. So that was my that's my bit of news. I was really excited to tell you that. That is nice. That is really nice when you see something and you get very excited about it. It's lovely to see wildlife like that on your own doorstep, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I mean, we all got equally as excited. Like, yeah. you can hear on the video. If you go to our Facebook page, you can watch this video and I'll, and you can see me telling you a bit about it. But um, you could hear the our radios in the background, what we used to communicate <laughs> to each other across the park. It was just red hot with people calling over the radio going, I think I've seen 13. I think I've seen 14. It's everyone getting really excited about it, which is pretty cool. That's brilliant. I've, I've been out and about, actually. I was doing... Um, transect yesterday so that's counting birds of prey um and recording so we go out and we walk a route and then we record all the birds of prey that we see so it's really nice because i like getting out in the field because it's it's a nice break from office work um and also now because it's so quiet because it's locked down um i am allowed to go out and do it which is great that's pretty do you do that on your own yeah, completely on my own. That is like and the ultimate social distancing, isn't it? Just to go and do a, a transit yeah, on your own. Exactly. And 14 red... If you saw 14 red kites, I didn't even see 14 red kites in the entire transect. And I was walking... I think I walked about 14 kilometres. Wow, okay. So... Not, even a, not even a kite per kilometre. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I think I saw around eight or nine red kites on separate occasions. That's still pretty good going. Yeah. And then three or four buzzards as well. Sadly, no kestrels for this one, but I think it's because the weather was a little bit rubbish. Yeah, it's it been really bad, windy. hasn't it? It's been, yeah. been bad here as well, trying to exercise some of the birds. It's a little bit on and off yeah. as to which birds can fly. The owls kind of look at you and think, I, yeah, I don't fancy going out there. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> my dogs are a bit like that. <laughs> really? Oh, mine's not. Yeah. De- Delilah, my chocolate Labrador, is like most at home when she is damp like Aww. if she can go swimming that's what she wants to do so oh bless yeah, her running through a muddy puddle is like second home for her 
Well, mine are from Tanzania, so they are sometimes a little bit unimpressed. Yeah, by the not British acclimatized. Weather. No, they're they're like this. We want to go back to Africa. Thank you very much. <laughs> Take me with you. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess well, we ought to talk a bit about a little bit about our topic that we've got going yeah. on this month, which is rewilding. And it's easiest to start thinking about what rewilding actually is because it can mean something different to different people I speak to, it seems. Um, Am I right in thinking that it's essentially handing over a once wild space back to nature? I think it's a... I really like the term and the concept of it. So from what I've read, it's about, yeah, restoring ecosystems, but to a point where nature can sort of take care of itself. But I think we do need to be very careful when we're thinking about it because, um, and doing it, because in this country especially, with Britain being quite small, we don't have an awful lot of wilderness left. Um, so I think rewilding can be a bit more of a broad term and it can include you know, areas that we let go back to nature. But I think we need to appreciate that there still needs to be conservation strategies and management in place in order to keep that nature to the best that it can be yeah and I think it's probably a term that quite a lot of us are fairly removed from I think it's fair to say because you know we don't all have areas of land that we can do it ourselves we might all have a go in our small way and that's of vital importance to lots of our uh, wildlife in Great Britain Um, but there are a certain few that are able to rewild spaces that are their very own and offer them back to nature and give them a chance to to take back a little bit of what was once theirs. Um, So I wanted to find out this month a little more about how these projects come about um, and what it's like to be part of one. Um, So I travelled across to the Cotswolds on a very damp, wet day and met socially distantly with Tabitha, who is a wildlife lover and rewilder, who has given her plot of land back to nature. Well, we've been here for five years. Um, that, the land came with the house originally, and really we had no plans of uh, you know, what we were going to do with it. But as it turns out, we ended up you know, thinking about rewilding. I always think um, rewilding is kind of a bit of a, a buzzword at the moment, isn't it? It's something that you know I think all of us would like to think we understand what what would you say rewilding means um i think rewilding can be a buzzword and it can have sort of mixed connotations for different people um some not so positive i guess because some landowners maybe see it as a bit of a gimmick but um for me it's really about not necessarily all of your land if you're lucky enough to be a landowner um it can just be a tiny amount of your land that you just basically let nature do its thing. So for us, we just wanted to give nature a bit of space that they could that it could call its own and do what it wanted to do. Um, and I suppose it opened our eyes to the fact that there's so much land taken up that isn't for nature. And we just wanted to, you know, just, just give a little bit back. And so when you arrived here a few years ago, was it very different to how the space is now? 
Yeah, so the garden was very minimalist. Um, this pond that we're just walking up to now was always here. It's pretty old, I think, and um, has got the great crested newt in it, which wow. is lovely. <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, obviously it's been here a long, long time, so it's become well established. Um, we'll have to see if we can see one. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, we've got a beautiful one. Oh, wow, look at that. So, yeah, you can see the crest almost, you know, that he is a crested. That's incredible, think? yeah. So, wow, a beautiful colours. I mean, perfectly camouflaged down there in the... Yeah, beautiful. ...in the pond. There he goes. That is where the kestrels nest, or the apparently they they nest in old holes. Is that right? They do, yeah. Well, we know they're cavity nesters, so they like to nest down into the hole in a tree, which is right. so. If you've got that in an old tree here, that's pretty much perfect well, for them. Well, the woodpeckers were in that tree, and then do you remember I sent you the little video of the noise of the baby kestrels? Mm. And I'd noticed it for quite a while, and it kind of coincided with the nesting time and so on. So, and there are holes, I've had a look with my binoculars, so when we heard them, that was really exciting, but no chance of seeing them, I don't They're think. probably being quite sensible and Not staying, like us, yeah. Yeah, staying undercover. It's lovely to know that just in one year, by leaving the borders, we've created a whole food source, not just for the owls and other birds of prey, but probably other creatures from foxes to, you know, and I don't know, other animals. It's actually nice as, like, as we're walking along, you can kind of look through the grass and there's areas where the grass is like flattened and you can almost see where some of the creatures oh, have yes. made their little paths, can't you? Definitely. So you know where the deer are and there's a really obvious rabbit path in one... In really, yeah, yeah. And it is, it's lovely because... Yeah, actually having the grass longer, it gives, it's like snow. It you can gives them away. tells yeah. the story, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what does the rest of the family think? I mean, I know you, you mentioned your husband, Mark, was originally wanting to maybe plant some, plant a vineyard here and <laughs> want to turn it into something else. I mean, there's surely things that you could do here that would be economically massively beneficial and yet here you are kind of handing it over to wildlife well yeah I, I mean again I'm going to say something really cheesy but you can't there's no, there's, you can't put a price on nature and we've really been inspired by different conservationists over the years and you know to, to us it is priceless just being able to hopefully make a tiny difference to nature in our area you know it's who knows but you know, it, it's it's kind of easy to get a bit down about the state of the world and climate change and all that. And so for us to be able to do this, but I think also you don't have to, you know, it's not about having to have a load of money to, to be able to do rewilding. I think you can do it for free on a tiny scale in your garden, even if it's just a square metre. So what's, what would you say has kind of been your best moment so far when you look back at the 
space you've given the wildlife, what's what's been your favourite moment? Um, I think for sure the barn owls were such a delight and we could sit on the bench that we just walked past and watch them and circling literally the borders where we'd left uncut. You know, they made it obvious, I mean obviously that's where the voles are, but it really made it so clear how crucial those borders were. Um, that was a real highlight because they were quite close to the house and we'd see them regularly. Um, and then of course the other birds of prey and obviously the butterflies, I'm, I'm quite mad on butterflies and to see the different areas that have been kind of by chance some of them in terms of the habitat, like you can see down here, we've actually dumped a load of stuff from the house that was in a bit of a pile quite near the house when we bought it and it's only like stone and soil and this created a whole different habitat and this is where I, you know, normally I'm out with my camera um, trying to spot them and that's where loads of different, well I say different, two, two different species of skippers were right. and different butterflies um, and then you know like you say the different areas have different, different species. I think for sure even just a tiny corner of your garden you could plant wildflower seeds and um, that would make a massive impact and you'd have so much enjoyment from seeing what comes to visit. Uh, so if you planted for example bird's foot trefoil that is just a magnet for butterflies and they love it and you can plant that in a pot so you could have that on your windowsill. We need your help, now more than ever before. The lack of income from being closed and having limited numbers on site is severely impacting our ability to carry out our vital conservation work. For a small organisation, we make a big impact with our mission, the conservation of birds of prey. So please, if you can, help us to continue to do this. There are so many ways you can help from purchasing an event ticket or experience voucher, or simply sharing our content online and spreading our message. For more information, head to www.hawkconservancy.org. So Hannah, it was really nice to go and meet with Tabitha in a socially distanced way, as much as you can be welcoming from two metres, Tabitha was. <laughs> and uh, it was she had a beautiful, beautiful home and uh, a fantastic amount of space that she's chosen to give back to nature. Um, very, very excited to see the newts in her pond, um, obviously not disturbing them, but uh, we could, well, there were kind of one sat fairly close to the surface that we could that we could see. Um, didn't manage to see the kestrels. It's, it's worth saying, actually, and you might have heard some of the interference on the microphone there. It was a really wet day. We got absolutely soaked and bless, I did notice. bless Tabitha. She carried on anyway. And we, yeah, I don't think I've ever been quite as soaked as, a, as I was that day, but... Um, yeah, it's really interesting to go and see how rewilding can work on a kind of medium scale, if you like. Somebody who's got that space of land and just and decides to give it back to nature rather than using it for something profitable for herself, which is just great. Yeah, that was really nice. I really enjoyed your interview with her. And I thought she was really genuine and obviously just really cared about it. Um, and I know that it's difficult because... I mean, not many people have the resources to be able to do that, but you could see that she was really 
or hear that she was really humble and she just really wanted to help nature, which is lovely. Um, Definitely. And I think people shouldn't fi- shouldn't feel like they can't just because they might not have access to that um, amount of land. You know, just doing s- things on a small scale can, like like Tabitha was saying, um, can still really help nature. Like our wildlife ponds and you know yeah. the work we're doing in our garden with wildflower patches and things like that yeah definitely i mean it's every little helps is kind of how it works and and in fact you know talking to quite a few people and 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 reading a lot around this subject it does seem that it's almost those smaller patches all coming together as this kind of patchwork quilt across the country is as important if not more important than these bigger areas in any case it's like creating corridors for wildlife allowing them from to move freely across our countryside and across our suburban and even our urban areas that's what's going to help it to survive human beings essentially yeah i do really like the idea as well of it being um a holistic approach where um everyone who's sort of a stakeholder as it were is involved so on the larger scale i think rewilding sometimes can be a little bit controversial um i think maybe uh it's not been communicated quite right or it's been misunderstood in some cases so i think it's really important that we understand it um as a whole and that all all um stakeholders are involved like farmers and landowners and we understand that it doesn't mean that we're um discounting that you know food security and farmers are really important and we need to make sure that we're working everyone's working together and it doesn't necessarily mean we have to completely get rid of farms and rewild the entire landscape just doing small pockets like you said is really helpful to wildlife definitely and and i think quite a lot of people perhaps wouldn't realize and i didn't really realize this before i started thinking about it a little more talking to people like tabitha um, talking to you, talking to um, other colleagues, that rewilding, it isn't just letting wildlife do its thing. You know, it isn't just there's a piece of land and you never revisit it ever again and wildlife will sort itself out, is it? It, it takes quite a lot of management, really, to rewild areas and bring it back into, you know, yeah. something as it should be yeah. because we've changed the environment so much. Although I like the concept of rewilding i think it's important to also appreciate that other conservation strategies are just as important and also that not everything is rewilding so you might have like reintroductions for example which can be can be part of a of a rewilding process but they're not they're not rewilding in themselves if that makes sense so they are a valid conservation standalone conservation strategy that can work in certain circumstances but they can also be part of the rewilding process and we've done that ourselves haven't we we talked about seeing those 14 15 red kites flying over the trust you know we had a reintroduction we were part of that reintroduction program for for red kites which is really exciting to say now knowing what a tremendous success story the red kite is now to know that we've been a part of that yeah absolutely so the whole red kite reintroduction started in the 90s and in 2000 between 2003 and 2005 um we released 12 red kites from the trust um and as i was saying about uh, working with landowners we 
another thing about rewilding is that it, it needs to be a very long process it's not just about okay i've got this bit of land just going to leave it you need to work with everyone so work with landowners and our our um red cart reintroduction we worked for more than five years previous to the reintroduction um with farmers with landowners with local communities to make sure that everyone was engaged make sure that everyone was committed and um and benefiting from the project yeah and everybody understands as well because i think especially with um predators when there's reintroductions of predators it seems to be quite a scary thing suddenly if you're a landowner or someone who relies on livestock or you know any anything in in the countryside and suddenly there is this this predator being imposed back onto to your land that you haven't perhaps experienced before it's a it's a scary thing and so i think that education and understanding is is just as important as doing the the conservation work itself really uh, to make it sustainable yeah i think it is especially as i said earlier that because britain is quite a small island it is quite a scary concept if you're a sheep farmer or a um you know you you have livestock the thought of lynx or wolves or bears even being released into the landscape is definitely something that you might not initially be (laughs) in favor of i was just thinking about those those 12 birds re reintroduced from the meadow here i wonder how many of those are still around if there are you know whether the ones that we see coming over during our displays whether any of those were, were some of the originals or whether they moved on or maybe they're the descendants of those birds it's it's tricky to know at this stage i guess but uh yeah it's pretty pretty cool i think another great example of um rewilding or anything that you do to bring back a little bit of the environment that might have been lost how much work that actually means for those involved um is our meadow and our meadow um is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year and it has been celebrating that 25th anniversary this year. Um, and I think quite a lot of people maybe come and see the meadow, especially in all its beauty in kind of June, July and early part of August. And you sort of think, well, that's incredible, isn't it? Look what nature does. If you just leave it to do its thing, then everything will be in this perfect balance that we all think that, that there should be. And it's not that at all. It takes quite a lot of management to get it to look like that, to support all those hundreds of different wildflowers and grasses, thousands of individual insects that call it home as well. That takes a lot of management. It needs to be cut mm. every year and it needs to be monitored every year for what species are being are benefiting from using the meadow. You know, there's there's quite a lot that goes on behind the scenes to, to manage wildlife in that way, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in a place like the UK where we've already done so much management whether it be positive or negative in the past it means that we still need to continue to do that it's not going to work to just if we just left the meadow to its own devices completely or if we if we'd done that 25 years ago it wouldn't look anything like it does now i don't really know what it would look like but Nettles. it wouldn't be a beautiful meadow, <laughs> meadow. yeah probably <laughs> which is great for some things i'm not I'm not hating on met- nettles yeah. i'm really not <laughs> no <laughs> but, um, it wouldn't have all of those lovely you know, orchids and, and other things, because there's a lot of more aggressive species. I think it probably have a lot of bramble. If... Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, as you said, in, in Britain, we've got very little kind of wilderness or wild left. When we think of uh, areas across the pond in the States, places like the Yellowstone National Park, um, 
I remember hearing a particular kind of rewilding, in inverted commas, story um, of the reintroduction of wolves into that part of North America and the impact that then had on lots of other species that lived there, um, something called trophic rewilding. Did you hear about this? Yeah, so the wolves in Yellowstone, was it Yellowstone? Yeah, so the, so the idea was to bring back that natural predator for some of the other species that were eating a lot of yeah. the foliage, eating a lot of the, the grasses, and uh, changing the directions of water systems by where they came down to drink. Something like that on repeat constantly throughout the years um, made a big difference to the, the environment. And bringing those wolves back yeah. um, kind of restored, and I'm always very careful around you, Hannah, to use the, to use the word balance. <laughs> I know you don't like it. I know you don't like it. Um, but that's how it's always kind of built to us, that having these wolves here kind of restored some sort of natural order of things a pecking order of of which species were able to uh take over as the dominant species obviously with exception to human beings as we seem to find ourselves apart from the rest of the animal kingdom somehow in our minds um but having the wolves there definitely um seemed to bring down some of the those other species that were becoming overpopulated and managed to um, mm. help things further down that food chain and did wonders it would seem for the national park so was it the impact it was the impact on the river systems wasn't it because i think it's were the ungulates or the um what would be the prey species of the wolves were causing erosion in the rivers and um affecting the flow of the river and so with the wolves then eating more of them it meant that not so many of them were causing that problem and then that changed the river systems so who would think that wolves would change the river systems you wouldn't no but that's i so say they call this this kind of trophic we're rewilding yeah. that it's kind of focusing on the top and if if you can get the conditions right for whatever that needs to survive at the top of that food chain if the conditions are right it should work for everything else underneath as well because whoever's at the top of the pyramid really only can survive if everything underneath it is working well so the bottom line is rewilding can mean lots of different things to lots of different people rewilding really isn't just letting nature do its own thing it takes lots of planning lots of thought and lots of scientific research to do properly but also that it can be on a huge scale from Yellowstone National Park to the tiniest back gardens in central London, for example. Every little really does help to uh, protect our wildlife. So now it's time for one of our regular features on Nature's A Hoot. It's our big story for this month. Uh, and this time round, it's Hannah's turn. And I understand, Hannah, sadly, it's not a good news story, is it? Yeah, it's not a story that we like to hear about, really. Um, I did have a bit of trouble finding a big story this month, but then this happened very recently. Um, and that it was um, a buzzard got shot and actually caught on camera Um in Kent. Yeah, I saw this clip as well. Um, it, I mean, how incredible that someone just happened to be filming that particular buzzard when this atrocity really was was committed. I mean, if this one happened on camera at that specific time, I mean, it must lead you to think how many times does this sort of thing happen when no one's around? I think that is the scary thing. Um, yeah, if this one was caught on camera, 
by someone who was just filming the buzzard just because it looked nice and it was flying nicely. Um, and then it was suddenly shot. It's a horrific video, really. Um, but to give it a bit more context, yeah, it does really show, I mean, how many of these incidents are happen- happening that we don't know about um, and how often this is probably going on that we that doesn't get any video footage or photographs or coverage and nothing's found yeah no coverage at all yeah i mean kind of putting it in perspective we've kind of talked about it because we're in the bird of prey world and it's kind of something that we're interested in i mean that's not beat about the bush this is a wildlife crime isn't it It yeah it these are these are protected species that are that's been persecuted here yeah it's completely illegal to um kill birds of prey trap them shoot them anything there's no um there are no licenses to be able to do that um and it is illegal and as a bird of prey conservation organization we obviously completely condemn any persecution of birds of prey as if i need to make that clear yeah I mean, and what you know what could lead somebody to do this because i most of the people i meet and maybe it's slightly biased because we are that bird of prey conservation organization we're a visitor attraction 99.9 times out of 100 people who are coming here already absolutely love wildlife birds of prey etc but i mean i can't think of a reason why somebody would would shoot a bird like that i think if you've seen recent media around bird of prey persecution we know that it is a really big problem in the uk um in certain areas more than others um and most of the um reason behind it is to protect game birds i mean wildlife crime is kind of um historically and generally quite hard to police isn't it trying to gather evidence of something like this in the middle of nowhere to actually bring it to court for prosecution of somebody is very difficult and so i think very often situations like this it's very hard for you know wildlife officers and organizations to set a precedent with how people are going to how the situation is going to be rectified and and how people are going to pay the price for the crime that's been committed against these birds yeah it's definitely difficult to police you're right um it's obviously difficult to get evidence um and yeah and punishments don't always fit the crime unfortunately I'm just reading Um, an article here written about it. Um, So according to the RSPB's recent bird crime report, there were 85 confirmed incidents of bird prey persecution in the UK in 2019. And there's likely, of course, as we've just said, to be many more that have gone undetected, that haven't been found. There's no evidence of what's been happening. Just birds disappear from areas where they should be and they're no longer there. I mean, we only have to look at the situation with hen harriers. We know that... Um, hen harriers are being shot and they get shot more on grouse moors than they do anywhere else Um, but yeah unfortunately there's a lot going on that is never people are never caught for it and subsequently if they are caught then often not punished i mean it's important for us to say that this is an ongoing investigation isn't it we don't know the ins and outs and the facts we just know that historically these are the reasons why people might choose to persecute birds of prey yeah definitely important to say that um something which is linked to it is we obviously research birds of prey and we research numbers of birds of prey in southern england 
Um, we recently um, published some work on buzzards in southern England and it showed that from 2011 to 2016 the buzzard population increased by around 50% which is really wow. good so it was increasing so that's great but after 2016 the numbers started to plateau and they're not at the level that we would expect for the ecosystem so that the, the ecosystem where we work could support more buzzards and the reason that it's plateaued is because there are threats in the landscape which are preventing the buzzards to, from increasing further. And persecution is very likely to be one of those threats. What other threats might buzzards find in those sort of areas? Other threats um, might be related to prey populations. So um, rabbits historically have um, suffered from uh, viral hemorrhagic disease, which is horrific and if there's a crash in prey populations then obviously that's going to affect buzzards and buzzards eat a lot of rabbits other things that might affect them ingestion of lead from um, spent ammunition and well habitat loss is always going to affect most species Uh, the other threat that might affect buzzards as well is um, use of rodenticides so use of rat poison because uh, buzzards and red kites eat a lot of carrion so carrion is dead animals red kites are effectively like our vultures but both species eat carrion and um the problem with that is the spent lead in game birds so buzzards eat a lot of um carrion from things like pheasants that have been shot and then the rodenticides in rats that have been poisoned it all plays a part doesn't it so I'm sure we'll be watching this story very closely over the coming months to see what happens with it and to see whether It kind of bucks the trend on getting to the bottom of what's happened. Yeah, let's hope so. This month's top tip, cleaning and preparing your bird boxes. From September onwards, the bird boxes in your garden are likely no longer being used, so it's an ideal time to remove them and give them a good scrub. Some parasites left behind from the spring can survive the winter inside the box and that could cause issues for next year's youngsters. Use boiling water to kill off any parasites rather than insecticides which could be harmful to other wildlife. Use mild detergent and a scrubbing brush to remove any stubborn dirt. Allow the box to dry thoroughly before adding a little clean hay or wood shavings. Over winter, you might even find that birds, or even small mammals, use the clean box to roost in or for shelter. Let us know if you have any interesting overwinter visitors to your clean bird boxes. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you've been rewilding your local patch or some areas in your garden and we'd love to know um, how it's been going so do let us know. Anything interesting on your bird feeders or in your wildlife pond we'd love to hear from you. Remember as always you can get in touch with Hannah and I on Nature's A Hoot through our social media channels. Simply search Hawk Conservancy Trust on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you'll find us there including some links to more information about rewilding and the other subjects we've been discussing so far on this show. So that's it, I'm afraid, for this month. But do join us next time when I will be catching up with a good friend of mine, Kevin Cummings from Langham Initiative, um, about the community buyout of Langham Moor. 
we'll be talking about community conservation and plans to create wildlife reserves and nature-based tourism opportunities. That'll be on the 1st of January 2021, can you believe? Uh, Until then, get out and enjoy nature. Perhaps come on a visit to the Hawk Conservancy Trust when we're allowed to reopen. And we'd love to see you. And we wish you a safe and happy festive period in the meantime. Goodbye. Have a wonderful Christmas. Bye.